Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Acts and chapter 4. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4 this morning, and let's begin by reading from verse 1. It says, And as, as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people. And preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in the hold until the next day, for it was now even tired. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. <clears throat> Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity once again to come and gather around your word. Lord, I pray as we continue to study the book of Acts this morning that, Lord, you would. Uh, give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. I pray, Lord, to be your words, to be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts through your word. You teach us and instruct us through it. Lord, we pray that you be honored and glorified this morning in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 4 here in the book of Acts begins with the very first indication of opposition to the early church. Okay, Before this time, there's, there's no opposition to the early church, there's no persecution. Is uh, the very beginning of the opposition. Peter and John here are arrested by uh, the, the rulers and they're put in the hold overnight. We read that there in verses 1 to 3. The rulers in Israel here are not happy with their teaching. And in particular, the Sadducees are not happy because the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Okay? Peter and John have been preaching concerning the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection from the dead. And so they're not happy with them because they're teaching something they strongly deny. And so we find that the rulers here are seeking to silence Peter and John. They arrest them and they put them in the hold overnight. Now, as I said, this is really the first time we've seen opposition to the early church in the book of Acts. You know, it shouldn't surprise us that opposition comes. We shouldn't get to Acts chapter 4 and be surprised that all of a sudden there's persecution happening. Because Christ had told his followers that this would happen, hadn't he? Christ had told his followers that they would be hated by the world just as he was hated by the world. Just turn back to John chapter 15 with me. John chapter 15. <clears throat> John chapter 15 and verse 18. says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they, be uh, sorry, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they, they have kept my saying, they will, will keep yours also. And so Christ had warned his disciples about this very thing. He'd warned that just as he had been hated, they likewise would be hated. Just as he had been opposed, they likewise would be opposed. You know, Christ never promised the church immunity from suffering. Christ never promised the church immunity from opposition, that how everything would be rosy, everything would be smooth sailing. But rather, that as, that, but rather sorry, he promised that we would suffer as he had suffered. And we see the beginnings of that persecution here in Acts chapter 4. Now, here in Acts chapter 4, we have a brief uh, conflict, if you like, with the authorities between Peter and John. 
You know, we have no lives lost here in Acts chapter 4. There's no bloodshed. There's no uh, beatings that take place on this occasion. But this really sows the seeds for what follows in the book of Acts. You know, by the time we get to Acts chapter 7, we have the very first martyr, Stephen, being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. The seeds of that are sown here in Acts chapter 4. By the time you get to Acts chapter 9, you have Saul going around arresting the believers, threatenings and slaughter, it says in Acts chapter 9. And so the persecution of the church really begins here in Acts chapter 4. And having been put in the hold overnight, we find that Peter and John are the next day brought before the Sanhedrin to be questioned. And this morning I want us to consider the court that they stand before and ultimately Peter and John's response to this court. So notice firstly this morning, if you would, the court convened. The court convened. We read this in verses 5 down to verse 12. Verse 5, And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the, in the midst, they asked, By what power, or by what name, have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people, and elders of Israel, we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent, by what means he is made whole, be it, made, be it known unto you all. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so we see here the court convened. This section here begins by telling us who makes up this court that Peter and John are standing before. Verse 5, it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So we have like, if you like, a roll call of all these ones who are gathered uh, as the courts that Peter and John are standing before. It's made up of the rulers, the elders, the scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, and his brethren. And basically what we have here is a description of the Sanhedrin, okay, the, the ruling council in Israel. In verse 15, it's called the council. Look in verse 15, it says, But when they had commanded them to go out of the council, they conferred among themselves. And so it's called the council in verse 15. And again, this is a reference to the fact that this is the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, of course, was basically the court in Israel in these days, okay? This was the court. This was the ruling body. People who had broken the law or were accused of breaking the law would come before the Sanhedrin to stand trial, to be questioned. And, you know, Christ had stood before this very court only a couple of months earlier. And, of course, Christ was condemned to death. Go back to Matthew 26. With me, Matthew 26. Matthew 26 and verse 57. It says, And they that had laid hold on Jesus led away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace. 
and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. So here we have Christ standing before Caiaphas at the time as the high priest, the scribes, the elders, the ruling body, the council. Christ is standing before this same group of people. Now basically Peter and John now are standing before this same group. You know, the very same people who condemned Christ to die, the very same people who sought false witness against Christ, are the people Peter and John are standing before on this day. You know, before this, they'd stood before the people and declared that Christ is the Messiah. Now they're standing before the ruling body in Israel. And we read verse 7 that the court here questions Peter and John. In verse 7 it says, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? They asked Peter and John essentially, you know, by whose power, whose name? Have you performed this miracle in? Now this question is very similar to the question that the chief priest had posed Christ towards the end of his ministry. In Matthew 21, verse 23, just turn over there quickly. <clears throat> Matthew 21, verse 23, it says, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Basically, this is the question, isn't it? Okay, Peter and John asked the same question as Christ. On both occasions, it's really an accusation that you have no authority, you have no power to be doing this the accusation is that peter and john here are healing in some other power than god's you know after all satan can perform miracles as well can't he and basically that's the accusation here you know now whose authority are you doing this in they're looking for a reason to punish peter and john seeking for a reason to put them to death if you like as they have with christ and so we find now in verses 8 to 12 that peter answers the court now, Peter stands up with great boldness here and answers this question. The answer that Peter gives here is led by the Spirit. Verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. And so we read here in verse 8 that he is filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, as we said before, this filling here is talking about being controlled by the Spirit. He's already indwelt by the Spirit. That happens at salvation. And for Peter, that happened at Pentecost. Okay, He's already indwelt. The Spirit lives within. This feeling here is speaking about being controlled by spirits. And so Peter here is controlled by the Spirit, and the Spirit directs his words so that Peter gives an answer that really is a masterpiece. It's a, it's a wonderful answer to the accusation they're putting to him. You know, Christ had promised that this would happen. Just go back, I know we're turning to a few passages this morning, but go back to Luke chapter 12 with me. Because this really is a wonderful fulfillment of Christ's words. Luke chapter 12 and verse 11. <clears throat> Luke 12 verse 11 it says, And when they, they bring you under the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take no thought how or what thing ye shall answer, or what you shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Now, Acts chapter 4 here is 
a perfect fulfillment of these words, is it not? Peter and John are standing before the magistrates, before the powers, before the rulers. And the Holy Spirit here, as Christ said, the Holy Spirit gives Peter the words to say, gives Peter wisdom here as to what his response should be. And Peter here begins here by addressing the court and he reminds them that they're standing there for doing a good deed. Okay, verse 9, if we, this, or if we say be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, what means he is made whole? Now he reminds them, he says, we're standing here because we did a good thing. You know, we didn't do something bad, we did something terrible, we haven't hurt anybody, we did a good thing, we did a good deed. He starts out by reminding them of this fact. And then he boldly declares unto them in verse 10 that it was in the name of Jesus Christ that this man was healed. In verse 10 it says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Peter says, You want to know whose name did it in? You want to know whose power? Christ's name. It was in the name of Christ, the name of Jesus, the one you crucified, the one you put on the cross. You know, you can almost see them cringe, can't you? As Peter mentions the name of Christ, the name of Jesus. You can almost see them cringe. They thought they were done with Christ. They thought they were finished with him. They'd put him to death. You know, they got rid of him. And yet you've got Peter and John and the other apostles preaching and teaching that Christ is alive. And they're healing people. They healed this man in the name of Christ. You can remember their response, can't you? Them cringing here at the name of the Lord Jesus. But you know, Peter doesn't stop there. You know, if that wasn't bold enough, Peter then goes on to quote the word of God to them. He quotes Psalm 118 verse 22 and he declares that Christ is the stone that the builders rejected and is now the chief cornerstone. Verse 11. This is a quote from Psalm 118. It says, This is the stone which, the, which was set at naught of you builders is become the head of the corner. Basically, Peter here is declaring Christ is, Jesus Christ, the one you crucified, is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment. You rejected him, but now he has been exalted to his rightful position on high. You rejected him, but he is the chief cornerstone. You know, you got to remember, he's standing before the rulers in Israel. The boldness Peter has here is incredible. It was bold enough in chapter 2 to stand up at Pentecost and preach. Bold enough in chapter 3 to stand up and preach before a crowd. But he's standing now before the religious leaders in Israel, the ones who condemn Christ to death. And he says, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one you crucified, is the Messiah, the chief cornerstone, the stone the builders rejected. And still Peter isn't... Because then he concludes his answer in verse 12 by giving them the gospel. He says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. He concludes his response by saying, Jesus Christ, it's his name that healed this man, and it's only in his name that you can be saved. Salvation is only found in him. There's no other way. There is, they're not going to find salvation in any other, Peter says. There's no other name. Saves only Christ, the one they crucified, can save them. You know, they wanted to know by what name. They wanted to know by what power this man was healed. 
And Peter, in his response, makes it abundantly clear that it was the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The only name that matters, the only name that saves. You know, the boldness of Peter here really is incredible. The boldness in his response before these men. And it's made even more incredible when we remember that this is the same man who denied the Lord thrice, and he denied him to a maiden. So go to Matthew 26 with me. Matthew 26, verse 69. Matthew 26, verse 69, it says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him, and unto them that were there, this fellow also was, sorry, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he died with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. And then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And the meat cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out. And wept bitterly. This is this man. Peter denied the Lord thrice, and he denied him the first two occasions to a damsel and to a maid. He's too scared to stand up for Christ before a, a damsel. And yet now he's standing before the Sanhedrin, the court in Israel, and he's boldly declaring Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The one you crucified is the Messiah. You know, this newfound boldness that Peter has comes from the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit within. Peter could never have done this without the Spirit. He could never have done this in strength. He did it in the power of the Spirit. And below and I have the same Spirit dwelling within. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ your Savior, then the Spirit lives in your heart. He dwells within. You have the same Spirit and you and I need to look to Him for boldness to stand. For boldness like Peter to respond to those who question our faith. For those who, who oppose us. In Ephesians 5 verse 18, we're told that we're not to be filled with wine, but filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. And beloved, the closer we walk with the Lord, the more we walk in obedience to His Word, the more we will be filled by the Spirit. The whole reason Peter's filled here is because he's walking in obedience to the Lord. That's why the, the Spirit comes upon him. That's why he's filled here, controlled and empowered. And if we want to be able to respond in the same way with boldness, then we need to walk close to the Lord in obedience to Him so the Spirit may fill us also and empower us to give us boldness to answer every man as Peter did this day before the court. Secondly, now we see the court is confused. We've seen the court convened, and now secondly we see the court confused look with me in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4 <clears throat> it says and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus and beholding the man which was healed standing with them they could say nothing against it when they had commanded them to go aside at council they conferred among themselves saying what shall we do to these men for that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
you know, having heard Peter's bold response here, we see now that he's a bit confused. They're confused by the events that have unfolded before them. They're confused and unsure as to what they're dealing with and how to deal with it. They're confused, first of all, at the boldness of Peter and John. It says that in verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that the unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. They marveled. You know, Peter, as far as they were concerned, were ignorant and unlearned men. The court here couldn't understand how these men who were untrained, how were these men able to stand before them and answer so boldly, answer so well? Indeed, answer with the scriptures. I mean, Peter answers with a knowledge of God's word. He quotes Psalm 18 to them. These, the rulers here are confused. They're looking at Peter and John and thinking, how on earth are they doing this? Where's this boldness coming from? Where does this ability come from? You know, Peter and John were simple fishermen. That's all they were. They were humble fishermen. They weren't professional scribes. They weren't authorized ministers of the Jewish faith. They hadn't been trained in the school of Gamaliel like Paul. And yet here they are with great boldness and great eloquence answering the rulers in Israel. And it causes them to marvel. The court is perplexed. They're confused. You know, there's one thing here that was clear to the court. And that was that these men had been with Jesus. It says at the end of verse 13, And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, although they couldn't explain how these men were able to answer so well, or the source of their boldness, did take note that these men were exactly like Christ. That's basically what they say here. These men are just like Christ, just like Jesus. You know, without realizing that pinpointed the reason for Peter and John's boldness, haven't they? It was it was Christ. He had given his disciples this ability. This boldness came through the power of the Spirit living within. You know, as I thought about that, what a wonderful testimony for Peter and John to have. The only thing the court could say is they're like Jesus. They've been with Jesus. It's a pretty awesome testimony, isn't it? The court could only conclude that these men had been with Christ. They were such like the man, Jesus, the one they crucified. You know, this ought to be our desire as well. That when men question our faith, when men look at us, that what they see, what they hear is Jesus Christ. They see Christ in us. That they take note that we are in with him. Beloved, that will only happen if we are indeed spending time with Him. And we keep coming back to this time and time again, won't we? Spending time in the Word of God, the necessity of it. Because it is a necessity. If you and I are going to indeed stand, if you and I are indeed going to be like Christ, then we have to spend time in the Word, getting to know Him. See, only then will the Spirit control us and the Spirit be seen in us. Beloved, we are supposed to be christ like ones are we no do people look at us and take note that we have been with jesus now the second thing that the court is confused by here is the miracle itself you see they could not deny the miracle they couldn't deny that a miracle had occurred the man that they that peter and john had healed in the power of christ was standing before them in verse 14 It says, And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, 
they could say nothing against it. They couldn't very well deny that a miracle had happened. The man was standing there right before their eyes. This man who had been lame for 40 years was standing there. So they couldn't deny the miracle. They couldn't say anything against it. But you know, by the same token, they didn't want to admit that a miracle had taken place. They didn't want to agree that a miracle had taken place in the name of Christ. To do so would be to admit that Christ To do so would be to admit that he was the Messiah and that he was working through his apostles. So the, the Sanhedrin here is confused. They have a dilemma, don't they? They don't really know what to do about this situation. In verse 15 and 16, we find that they ask Peter and John to leave and then they discuss among themselves what to do. Verse 15, it says, But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. You know, they asked Peter and John to leave, and they discuss it themselves. What are we going to do with these men? What are we going to do concerning this situation, miracle? What is going to be our response? You see, in spite of all the evidence that is before them, I mean, the men standing there healed. You can't get more evidence than that, can you? And it's in the name of Christ. In spite of all the evidence before them, they refuse to believe that Christ is the Messiah, that Christ is alive, that Christ has performed this miracle. They don't want to believe. What they want here is to deal with Peter and John. They want to silence them. They want to deal with them as they dealt with Christ. But in reality, they do this because there's too many witnesses. There's too many people who have seen this. Too many people have seen the miracle and they're talking about it. Can't very well now deny the miracle and put them to death. It's the dilemma. Too many people had seen this good deed for them to arrest or harm Peter and John at this time. And so in the end, they decide to silence them instead. It's our last point this morning. We see the court constrains them. The court constrains them. (coughs) Excuse me. Just read with me from verse 17. It says, But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they sent forth to no man in his name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing was showed. <clears throat> you know, seeing that they couldn't deny the miracle, and knowing they couldn't harm Peter and John, the Sanhedrin here seeks to silence them. In verse 17, we read, fearful of this spreading further among the people. It says in verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people, let us threaten them that they may speak, sorry, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. They're fearful here. They're fearful that this is going to spread further and further, as indeed the gospel does, we know. But they're fearful about this. They're fearful that more people are going to hear about the miracle, that more people are going to hear the message that Christ is alive. And so more people would turn to Christ and follow him. Yeah, they're fearful. 
It's because of this fear that they now seek to silence Peter and John. According to verse 18, they call Peter and John back in and command them to stop preaching. It says in verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. They call them in and they say, listen, you've got to stop doing this. We command you to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Now remember, this is the Sanhedrin here, giving them this order. This is the court, the official court, the official council in Israel, commanding them to stop preaching Christ. Effectively, it's law. They're telling them to stop preaching the Lord. It's a threat as well as it is a command. And immediately here, once again, we see the boldness of Peter and John. Rather than being intimidated by the Sanhedrin, Rather than being intimidated by these learned men who are sitting before them, rather than being intimidated by the threats, Peter and John answer them with great boldness. It says in verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now Peter and John here, immediately refuse to obey the council. Immediately refuse to obey the command that comes from these men. And their reason is because they ought to obey God rather than men. You know, it's important to understand that. You know, Peter and John's reason for refusing to obey the court here was not because they didn't respect the office. It was not because, you know, they didn't respect the office that these men held or respect the law. It had nothing to do with that. It was simply because the court was commanding them to do something that was contrary to what God had commanded them to do. You see, Peter and John knew that they were under orders from the Messiah to preach the gospel unto the ends of the earth. Go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 with me. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Christ had left them with this command. Christ said, go and preach and teach. Be witnesses unto me. This was their final instruction from the Lord. And therefore, if they were to obey the Sanhedrin and stop preaching Christ, it would be sin, wouldn't it? It would be disobeying what it would be sin. And so Peter and John stand here. Their refusal to obey is based upon the word of God. It's not born through stubbornness. It's not born through some selfish personal whim. It comes because of a stand upon the clear leading of God's word. And you know, today as believers, we likewise need to be willing to stand up for the faith, but it has to be a stand upon the word of God. You know, like Peter and John, we ought to obey God rather than men. Obey God rather than men. And so anytime man contradicts God, we obey God. We obey him first. You know, throughout the ages, Christians have faced the same persecution, haven't they? That Peter and John faced on this day. Throughout the ages, Christians have faced governments who have demanded that they stop preaching Christ, that they deny their faith or be killed or put in jail. You think about the Roman Catholic Church. For years, this is what they did. 
for years they went around persecuting Christians and telling them to stop preaching Christ, deny the faith, recant, or be burned at the stake, be put to death, be put in jail. And then we had the communist countries, still some today, do the exact same thing. No, arrest Christians, tell them to deny the faith, recant, or be put to death, be put in prison. And even today, there are issues where believers are threatened by the government to stop preaching Christ. It still happens. It still happens around the world today. Christians are threatened to deny the faith. You know, thankfully for now, you and I dwell in a country where we have freedom of religion. And we can praise God for that, can't we? Praise God that we have freedom of religion. Now, right now, there are no laws in place commanding us to do something that is contrary to the Word of God. Or forcing us to deny the faith. But in reality, that day is probably closer than we think. That day is fast approaching where the law will be contrary to God's word. And beloved, we have to take a stand. That day is coming. You know, the way our government is heading, it won't be long until we as believers have to make this same choice. Do we obey God or obey men? And suffer the consequences for that. Now, like Peter and John, we must stand firm and obey God. Put him first. You know, even now, we may find ourselves having to make this choice when it comes to school. You know, particularly with our kids in school. Now, having to take a stand and say, no, we're going to obey God rather than men. We may have to take this stand at work or even in ho- at home if we're from an unsaved home. Even now, we may face this decision obey god rather than men you know if we're going to do this if we're going to obey god rather than men then we need to know what god desires don't we We need to know god so we might know what he commands of us what he expects of us and beloved that means spending time with him it's time in his word each day spending time in prayer every day getting to know him better The more we know him, the more we understand him, the better you and I will be able to stand for him. But if we're not spending time in God's word, if we're not spending time in prayer, then when the day comes where we have to stand up, we're not going to stand. We're going to falter because our walk with him is not all it should be because we're not walking in obedience to him. If we're not obeying him now, how are we going to obey when that day comes? Well, we need to be spending time in his word, walking close to him so we might stand in the power of the spirits. And beloved, the stand that you and I are to make is not about stubbornness. It's not about a lack of respect for the law or a lack of respect for governments. It's because we have a greater respect for God and His Word. And we must remember that. You know, Christians, we're not supposed to be protesting the government. That is not what God has asked us to do. But if the day comes where the government is contrary to God's Word, then we take a stand and we obey God. Does that mean we go with placards and all that? No. But we do take a stand and we keep obeying God rather than men. You know, in verse 21, we find that in the end, the Sanhedrin could do nothing rather than simply threaten them again. It says in verse 21, So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. You know, in the end, their hands are tied. The people loved Peter and John and what Peter and John had done. Their hands are tied. They couldn't do anything to punish them because they feared the people. 
And so in the end, they threaten them one more time and let them go. But as I said earlier, it's not long until Stephen's stoned to death. It escalates pretty quick, doesn't it? It escalates very fast. Now, I think the important thing about here is at the end of verse 1, we read this. It says, All men glorified God for that which was done. You know, throughout it all, God was glorified. God received the glory in these events. He was in control. He used all of this to bring glory to his name. As Peter and John stood trial that day, they could stand before that court with great boldness. They could stand and declare Christ. Why? Because they were filled with the spirits. The spirit gave them the boldness. The spirit gave them the words to say. They stood in his power. They stood in his might. So much so that when they were threatened, they stood firm and they declared, we must obey God rather than men. And beloved, the reality is, if you and I are going to be able to stand when the time comes, then we must first of all be walking in a close relationship with him, in obedience to his word. Only as we are walking close to him, will we be filled and controlled by the spirits. But if we are filled and controlled, um, sorry, if we are walking obedience to Him, walking close to the Lord, then when that day comes, we won't have to worry because, as Christ said, the Spirit will give us the answer. The Spirit will give us the boldness, as He did Peter. But we need to be in His Word. We need to be in fellowship with Him, walking close to Him. Love, let us daily walk closer to Him, so that we might live a Spirit-filled life. And people may see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the example of Peter and John here. We thank you for their great boldness, Lord, before this in Israel. And Lord, we know that the day is fast approaching, Lord, where we will face this same decision as believers in this country. And Lord, I pray that on that day, Lord, you indeed give us great boldness to stand for you. Help us, Lord, to be preparing our hearts, Lord, each and every day by spending time with you. In your word, Lord, getting close to you, walking in obedience to you, so we might be filled and empowered by the Spirit. We might have boldness that comes from you. May you bless as we close and remember these truths. May we remember the truth that we need to obey you rather than men. Praise in Jesus' name.